the the fact is everybody, the most accomplished people in the world are are constantly questioning themselves. Um, I think the moment that you stop doing that, you know, you're you start going sideways and you stop being that person. Welcome to the Up In Your Business Podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 058 of the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. It is so great to have you here. If you're new to the show, this is your weekly dose of business savvy, emotional intelligence, and oftentimes a bit of inspiration. I help you master your mindset, dominate your fears, unleash your amazing, and live your most effective self. And I got to tell you, I am so excited for you to hear this interview um, that we're hosting today. I, I, I say that because um, this is somebody I've been following for a few years. Um, he kind of has, a, a, I would like to say, a, a similar spirit um, to kind of the human being I'm trying to become. And I really admire this gentleman um, for all that he does um, but more importantly, the why he does it. And I think you'll know what I'm talking about when you experience today's interview. So I, I, without further ado, I want to just jump right into it. He's a dad, a husband, a serial entrepreneur, growth strategist, and award-winning author. Um, he inspires possibility, and he currently runs a mission-driven media and education venture called Good Life Project. And this is where he and his team, they lead a global community uh, in the quest to live a more meaningful and connected and vital life. Uh, he's sharing conversations um, with all sorts of people all the time. And some of those names include Sir Ken Robinson, Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, Brene Brown, and hundreds more. Um, you can find him regularly. He's featured in all sorts of stuff, uh, New York Times and Wall Street Journal, Business Week, blah, blah, blah. Like he's all over the place. And even though that all sounds cool, it, he even admits it doesn't really impress his daughter all that much. Uh, but you can find him all over the place. Today, we are joined by Jonathan Fields. So get ready to take some notes. This interview is amazing. So let's jump into that interview right now. You're listening to the Up In Your Business podcast. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. We are building you to do business better. I'm here with Jonathan Fields. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. Fantastic. What is the thing that made you smile the biggest yesterday? Uh, probably a big yummy hug from my kid. A yummy hug from your kid. How old is your child? She's 15. 15. That is crazy because I think I just saw some video about you talking when you started all of the yoga and your your 15-year-old, yeah. I think it was three months. She was. Yeah, yeah. It was in a little bit crazy. It's, uh, it's the thing about being a dad or a parent, right? It's like every year goes a little faster, so you got to cherish them more and more. True that. I have a 21, a 7, and a 6. Yeah. So it's a never-ending sense of drama 
which is fantastic. <laughs> so I, I want to talk to you today. Um, your book is coming out here uh, very shortly in October, How to Live a Good Life. And before we get into knowing some more about the book, let's just talk about what is the good life? This whole thing you've been doing for the last several years, what does that mean? You know, one of the realizations for me is that it actually means something different to everybody. Um, I've been... I've been sitting down and in in some way, shape, or form listening to recording conversations with people where you know I always ask them that question and what's maybe one of the things that surprised me more than anything is the the variation of answers. You know, I kind of figured after you know a dozen of these conversations, things would start to repeat, and in fact, they really haven't. Um, yeah. But what I have noticed is that there are there are major themes and. Um, and the themes tend to fall into what I call three different buckets. One is is what I would call vitality, which is really optimizing your physical and and mental well being. Um, one is what I call contribution, and that's the way you bring your gifts to the world. And for some people, that's your work. For some people, it's not. You know, it may be the thing you get paid for, but it, it may actually not be. And uh, and the third one is connection, and that's all about what uh, what social psychologist Jonathan Haidt calls the in between. It's the relationship between you and friends, lovers, partners, nature, source, you know, also, and, and yourself. Yeah. And you said in your introduction, um, by the way, I chewed up this book. I, you probably can't see it, but it's all like dog eared and stuff. Cause that's <laughs> just the way I roll. I love it. And, um, I, I have in here, uh, as kind of a beginning into the book. And I want to bring this kind of as an intro into the conversation is that you asked this one thing you said, all I ask is this stay open. Hold on a little less tightly to the safety of a consistent yet failed pass and to the perceived sanctity of truths that may or may not have served you and the way you dream of being in the world. As Mark Twain famously offered, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Mm. And I think that kind of takes us into this because a lot of people perceive some of this stuff as, you know, foo-foo and, you know, yeah. touchy-feely and, you know, it's heady, it's it's deeply emotional. And people many times, and specifically in corporate world where I live, can get offended by that. And yet it plays such a critical role to everything else. Yeah. You work in that space. You're in New York City and Manhattan. How do you kind of help bridge that gap to them to be a little more vulnerable. Yeah, I, I, I'm so there with you. Um, you know, and I, I have the same reaction when I read a lot of, you know, like quote, personal development slash spiritual books. I'm, I'm not overly wired to be metaphysical or super woo woo. You know, I'm what I would call, um, you know, probably cautiously optimistic spiritual, uh, explorer. Um, <laughs> But Love. I'm 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 pretty grounded in science in mm -hmm. the end of the day. So if you you know, I will always look at a an outcome and I'll look at the past to get there. And if I can find the science behind it, that's the place I'm gonna default to first. You know, although the interesting thing is the older I get, um, I'm fifty. Yeah. And I've noticed that the older I get, the 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 more I experience things that are just harder and harder to explain, yet they are. And I found myself becoming more open to just the fact that some things happen, some things work. Um, but but in, but you know, circling back to your question, you know, I do tend to operate in the world of entrepreneurship and business, and you know, I work with some large companies and I work with some startups and entrepreneurs, and 
And um, what I'm most interested in is sort of um, is deciphering practical tools, you know, practical mm. tools and strategies that are able to be validated and then integrated into the way that you live your life so that you know, you know, if you've only got a certain amount of bandwidth to devote to optimizing human potential, you want to know that the things that you put into that bandwidth are going to move the needle, you know, and um, and that's what I really try and focus on. Um, and it's largely an outgrowth just of the way that I try and, you know, inter inject those things into my own life. Mm. And when you look at these three buckets and you've resolved that these three things have such a critical component um, at the uh, onset of um, kind of exploring that, you saved it. I, I think you saved some of this for the end of the book. And so it it's, it's not a spoiler alert, I, I, I hope. I think it's more of kind of a, a teaser. To it's a get... slow build. <laughs> slow build. You said this. You said that a good life is not a place at which you arrive. It is a lens through which you see and create the world. Viktor Frankl tells us in Man's Search for Meaning that between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And in that growth and freedom lies the heartbeat of a life well lived. That's where this book really is going to take us. So yeah, let's I talk hope. about, right? <laughs> let's talk about those three buckets and how those integrate into life. So let's start with the first one, uh, vitality. Can yeah. you define some of the elements of vitality in that bucket? Yeah, you know, sort of from a, a, a meta lens um, standpoint, it's, it's the mind and the body and it's... Um, it's funny that people talk about those as being two distinct things because, and again, I'll, I, like, I, I'm research-based. I'm very database. There is such a vast body of, of published peer-reviewed research now that shows that they are you know, state of mind and state of body. They're, they're a seamless feedback mechanism. You know, If you are feeling blue or if you're depressed, it is going to manifest very likely in very real somatic symptoms and illness in your body. You know, if you're injured or if you're physically sick, it's going to roll out and really change your state of mind and affect your cognitive function and your creativity and your mood and all this stuff. So, you know, I think for me, number one is just accepting the notion that there is no separation between your state of mind and your state of body. They are, in mm -hmm. fact, one seamless feedback mechanism and you can't you can't ignore them. You know, they're the vessel that carries you. And um, they're also optimizing them and feeding them tend to be the first thing that we abandon in the pursuit of quote making our mark in the world or even more sad in my mind is just in the pursuit of getting busy with work that actually doesn't even mean much to us yet even with that so many people you know toss their 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 mindset their emotional and, and psychological well-being and their physical well-being out the window in the name of working more and making more and um I'm not. Uh, I'm not the sort of. Uh, um, hey, you know, I'm going to be um, get by with almost nothing. Like I live in New York City. You know, married. I'm a dad. I have to support a family. I have to earn a real living. Um, and at the same time, it's important to me that that's meaningful and that, you know, I take care of this vessel that allows me to do it. Uh, Liz Gilbert um, conversation with her about a year and a half ago. 
you know, I was like, like, what's tell me, tell me what's the most important thing. And she's like, you got to take care of your animal. Mm. Um, and I just, I kind of, I kind of love that phrase because yeah. without the animal, there's nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, by the way, you, you quote her and Brene Brown throughout this book and I'm big fans of both. So I, I love that. And here's the element too, of, of that psychological, you know, mind and body, you know, Eastern philosophy is that the emotions actually create illness and different emotions can create specific organs. You know, there's been research behind that. In addition, like I always tell people like what you think about is a product of what you've heard about, whether you took that in with video or audio or actually, you know, a book. And so what you read about, you think about, you think about, you talk about, and then it's just a matter of time before you bring it about. And if we follow that line of continuum, we can see there's a natural progression. And when you're thinking lack, you make decisions out of fear. You make decisions out of um, anxiety. And those are rarely ever good decisions versus when you fill it with good stuff then good yeah. things can happen. Right. And it's not, I mean, the, the fascinating thing to me is that you don't have to buy into any metaphysical, um, you know, thing where there, there's no faith that's needed here anymore. There's, yeah. There is real research that actually shows all of this stuff, you know, that, that um, your, your state of mind, you know, like your, they call it positive affect in the research rather than positivity or state of mind or mood. You know, that it has a very real effect on your physiology and on your cognitive function, your creativity. Yeah. Um, and vice versa, you know? Oh, it's. And for you who are listening, who manage people, you'll understand that sometimes you just have a bad day and you may snap at people for reasons that they don't deserve, only because you're not in the right mental state and you haven't serviced your bucket of vitality. And a critical component to your team building, to your leadership, is getting yourself in the right mindset. Yeah, so important. Oh, do you want to comment on that? you want to jump to the next one? Just a really quick comment. There's a phenomenon in the research that's that's sort of loosely labeled emotional contagion. Mm. And, I mean, it literally happens. If you take a leader of a team and you put them in a room and they show them some really horrendous footage for a few minutes so that they're in a really agitated and upset state and you Mm. put them in front of a team – even though they don't say anything about it, the the team will literally within a matter of minutes take on the emotional state of the leader. And the same thing goes for the opposite. If you put them in a room where they're looking at like puppy dogs and, mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of wonderful – and they just – and they're the, the team will feel this. They'll sense it in a whole bunch of less than verbal ways. And again, it, you literally infect those around you with, a, with your, your state of emotion. So it's, it really does matter, especially if you're, if you're in a place where you're leading people. Emotional contagion. I love that term. Um, the next one, connection. Yeah. Where, what do we find in that bucket? Yeah. So the, the two biggies for me are love and belonging. And, um, you know, the I th- love is probably a more obvious one for most people. They're like, well, yeah, of course, you know, like that's what drives the vast majority of human yeah. behavior is, you know, either, you know, like not losing love or seeking love. Um, when I say love, I don't, I don't just mean romantic love, which is what most people think of. You know, a lot of the literature, um, starting way back when, actually before it was research, really very often drops it out into four variations. You know, there, there is the romantic love, and that's a part of it. There's also companionate love, or what we, we might know as friendship. There is 
um, compassionate love, which is, you know, compassion, you know, you, you are, our our I, like we are one and like it's standing in the shoes of another and there's attachment. And these are four different elements which can exist in different relationships and are all really important to in some way understand and address and, and cultivate in the way that you engage with other people in the world. So that's, you know, that's one of the big things that, um, that I'd love to explore um, exactly how do you do that. And belonging is a deep fascination of mine too. Turns out that uh, there's a rich body of literature on this thing called belonging. And in fact, we are as human animals wired to have to belong. When we belong, um, everything in life improves. When we don't belong, when we feel either outcast or socially isolated, we literally start to wither um, and we will eventually actually die um, when we don't have that sense uh, sort of dialed in. So those are two things that I've, that I've, I've gone deep into um, that probably because they're just really geek-like fascinations for <laughs> right. me. Right. Um, you know, and then there are other things also for, you know, there's the relationship between you and your natural environment. There's the relationship between you and if it's meaningful to you, however you might define a sense of source, mm-hmm. um, you know, and also your relationship to self. We, we are awash in such a sea of self ignorance that, you know, mm-hmm. the, our ability to actually relate to other people very often is dumb luck because we know, we know ourselves so poorly that you know the 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 possibility that we'll end up in a relationship with somebody where actually something great comes out of it on a sustained basis sometimes is you know is we would be better served spending a little more time really just trying to understand who we are um what we care about what matters to us and then and then take that you know take that better known self out into the way that we interact with other people and Man, our lives would change in a pretty profound way, and so would the lives of the people that we we interact with. You know, like love, serve, play with. Mm. And the, I love the uh, aspect of a love just in itself. You you packed in those four words there, and C.S. Lewis wrote that book. I, I remember reading that in there. Uh, and then you also go into the five love languages um, mm-hmm. from that book and tap into the interactions of of partners. And how that applies. And I could be telling my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you 40,000 times in a day. But if the auditory speaking of those words is not her love language, I might as well be speaking German because her love language might be acts of service or gifts or touch or time. Yeah. I love how you took quotients out of literature and science and and relationship and and each day and by the way for those of you who haven't read this and and the invitation obviously is for you too he's divided this up so that you can actually go through 30 days spending 10 days in each of these buckets to revolutionize your life and i love how you put those bite-sized pieces in ways that are actionable yeah more than just factual it's not head knowledge now i can actually walk it out and go through those exercises. Awesome. Yeah, that was important to me because um, I, I am my my number one strength. Whenever I take any kind of uh, assessment, is a love of learning. So I could spend you know like months just geeking out on learning. So right. I, and I ha- and I have to remember you know, like I want this to be something which is not just fascinating but actually um, actionable. And uh, so that was really important to me. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So then that takes us Oh, one more segment too on the connection. You use the term uh, being with your people. Mm. I think nothing makes you feel more safe and lets you kind of lower your guard 
than when you know you're with somebody that's your tribe. Yeah. And I mean, we've all been there, right? You know, we, we know, and we may not have it now in our lives, or it may have been a while, but, you know, pretty much everybody can close their eyes and take themselves to some moment in their life where they're, they're just like, yeah, you know, like their guard was down. They felt utterly themselves and utterly accepted. They were hanging out with people who saw the world that they saw. Even if they were arguing and battling, they knew, you know, fundamentally these were their people. Yeah. And um, and there was a sense there's a sense of safety there. You know, like you could be vulnerable, you could be who you are, and you weren't worried about getting thrown out. Like these were your folks, and you know, a lot of us found that when we were sort of a younger moment in our lives, and kind of walked away from it later in life, and it causes so much pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've become a big proponent of uh, a lot of what we do with like you know our our bigger company is to actually try and create experiences that. Um, that bring together people around a shared sense of values in a safe container mm. um, and bring that back into people's lives because, man, we're missing too much. You know, there's so much suffering that's going on in the world largely because of that these days. Now to see that that switch flipped a little bit differently. And so the element of uh, connecting with people and being safe, I think, also kind of plays into an element of self-awareness where people can actually see you and know you and then be able to speak truth to you, things that maybe blind spots to you opportunities for you to grow opportunities for you to engage on deeper levels. It's, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So from those you, you gave, um, three laws of the buckets and I love these one. And just in in short is that the buckets leak and they constantly have to be refilled and, uh, your emptiest bucket is going to drag all the others down with it. And then the last piece is that the buckets never lie. Um, so for those of you, um, who are looking for some guidance and looking for, um, a tool that can help you dive into knowing yourself better and then being able to strengthen and fortify some of these areas in your life. Again, I, I really want to encourage you to read this book and, and I don't want to leave this book altogether, but I do want to dive a little bit into Jonathan, your book before, this, you know, the unknown and uncertain was kind of a, a big deal. And for people who are trying to do personal development or trying to grow in areas, oh my gosh, the idea of fear, yeah, of change, of, um, like you said, the unknown, like that becomes something that um, becomes debilitating. Yeah, totally paralyzing for so many people. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's interesting. I think every book that I write really just starts with a personal question that I'm trying to answer that I'm dealing with. Um, and then, you know, like, I hope to God enough other people are dealing with <laughs> right, the same right. question that, <laughs> yeah. that I can sell enough books to earn a living. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the fundamental question in that book was, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wired to create. I have been since I was a kid. I've been an entrepreneur and artist. Like this is what breathes me is, is creating something from nothing. And, um, and to do that, you have to live in a place of sometimes deep um, uncertainty, sometimes on the level of existential uncertainty um, for a sustained period of time because, you know, the, the first wave of cool ideas, you know, it, they're generally kind of like throwaway stuff, right? And then you realize that and you're like, okay, that wasn't it. And you realize you have to stay in this place of not knowing for longer. And then the second wave starts to emerge. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is really good stuff. And you put it all up on the whiteboard and you start to think that the answers are, thing, are, are coming. And then you realize that that's still not it. And what you discover is that 
it's the third wave of ideas that inevitably, whether you're you're putting together canvases for a show or trying to launch a startup um, or trying to build a, an organizational um, like division around innovation, that that's where the magic happens. You know, when you're when you have the capacity to stay in the unknown, to live and breathe and function there long enough for the third to, to get through the first two waves and actually to get to the third and then really embrace it. That is where the astonishing mm. um, evolution comes. And but it kills most of us. I mean, because we're literally our brains are wired, soft wired to um to want to run i mean literally it puts us into the you know the classic fight flight or freeze response it sends a cascade of electrical signals and chemicals through our body that make us feel physically uncomfortable sometimes to the point of being ill so we want to we don't want to feel that way so we either rush through it to get to the end ignoring so many of the good stuff or we we pedal backwards you know we become utterly you know, overcome with this sense of overwhelm and we run backwards until we no longer feel it. And, you know, the, the problem with that is that, um, the, the flip side of uncertainty is possibility. And when you, when you kill the uncertainty, you also kill the possibility. Mm. And, um, and then you're left with just doing the same thing that everybody's done before you. And I kind of made the decision that that's why I'm not here, but I didn't want to keep bleeding soul every time I went to that place. Right. So I got really curious, you know, about whether um, – about the fact that some people seem to be able to go to that place and stay there for long periods of time and be OK. And I was curious whether that was something that was trained or it was something where it's just genetic. Some people have it. Some people don't. What I found is that there probably are a very small number of people who just are wired that way from the womb. But the vast majority of people actually um, – they teach themselves. They develop a series of habits or practices or rituals that allow them – to be okay enough to stay in that place um, so that they can do amazing things. And, um, and that's really what my exploration was around that. Mm, and, you know, even as you were starting this book, um, I loved the introduction. You questioned yourself as your finger was hovering over the send button yeah. of who am I? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, for crying out loud, you're, you're, you're Jonathan Fields. You, you've like interviewed all of these like tech gurus and, and celebrities and blah, 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 blah. And even you are having that moment. Am I the right person to write this book? Yeah. But you know what? I kind of think, um, I hesitate to say it's humility, um, because I, I don't know if that's really what it is. I think it's just, it's this idea that I see myself as a perpetual student. Um, and, and when you turn around and you play the role of, I have something to say on some level, you're then positioning yourself as a teacher. Um, and which I actually really love to do. I love to teach. I love to share. I love to mentor, but I'm always really cautious of not ever leaving the role of the student just because you've now got something to say, you know, just because you may have something to say or a unique lens doesn't mean you've got it all dialed in. Doesn't mean you've got it figured out. Doesn't mean that you stop learning and studying and exploring. And I'm always, I'm very cautious. Like I'm constantly checking myself on that and making sure. Um, Milton Glaser shared with me in conversation a few years back. He said, uh, certainty is a closing of the mind. And I always want to make sure that I'm staying in that place to being a student and holding myself open, even when I turn around. Um, and, uh, 
and never being, you know, like putting myself in a place saying I've got it all figured out and you know, like you, right. you shall listen to me because it's just, it's not true. <laughs> right. You know, I'm, I'm picturing you with like a little Caesars, you know, ring around the top of your head or something like that. You know, like, listen <laughs> to me. Um, there's yeah. another element too is, is many of us have those fears, whether it be imposter syndrome or whether it be some sort of self-sabotage, like mm. we have a gift or we have a learning, we have something to share, and we won't give ourselves permission to actually step out and share it for whatever yeah. reason. Have you seen that played out with some of the people that you've worked with? It, with everybody, you know, and one of probably one of the biggest awakenings in the project that we've been developing, you know, since I guess 2012, but, um, but I've actually probably been into for decades at this point is, you know, you look at, we have this really awful habit of comparing our insides to the people who we aspire to become, of basically comparing our insides to their outsides. Um, and that's somebody else's language, by the way. I didn't make that up, but it just really describes it perfectly. And um, and I wish I could remember who, who said that to me. But mm-hmm. um, right. I do it but, all the time. Uh, yeah. You know, the, you know, the, the fact is everybody, the most accomplished people in the world are, are constantly questioning themselves. Um, I think the moment that you stop doing that, you know, you're, you start going sideways and you stop being that person, you know, um, the challenge is to be in the, in this state of constant questioning without that in some way, um, spiraling down into a state of, um, such fierce anxiety and fear that it, paralyzes you and it stops you from bringing what's in your head out into the world so that you can actually validate or invalidate and take action based on data rather than a maniacal unending stream of self-talk. Do do you still have areas where you still struggle with that? Oh, dude, nonstop. (laughs) (laughs) Like what's something that maybe recently that you'd be comfortable to share? Um, I mean, I, I, you know, part, part of what I'm constantly fascinated by is, um, is human potential. And so to me, there's sort of like, there's the great middle, but then there are two ends of the spectrum, which is moving from dysfunction to baseline. Okay. And then there's moving from really good to exceptional. And, um, I've developed a, a probably a decent skill set at understanding the latter and a pretty reasonable skill set at the former too, but I'm, one of my deep fascinations is how beliefs, is how especially beliefs that we're not even aware we hold enable or limit the way we bring ourselves to the world. So I want to go a lot deeper into that. And I'm aware at this point that it's a major factor in our ability to really step into our potential. But I don't yet feel well enough equipped to... Um, to turn around and really write substantially or share substantially or teach substantially on that. And that's something where, um, you know, I, I feel that that is, that's a gap mm-hmm. in my knowledge base right now. And my sense is, you know, it's probably going to be a five to 10 year journey for me to get to a place where I probably feel comfortable enough to maybe start to, you know, turn around and share around that in a more a deliberate way. Yeah. And for, 
you know, your field, there's, you know, a lot of people that can be sprinkled around, whether it be, you know, an Oprah or a Tony Robbins or, you know, any other comparisons that somebody wants to put around. Where do you see yourself in context of your um, operating at the top of your game and achieving quote unquote success? Yeah. So you just threw out a couple of names like Oprah, Tony. Um, I, in my mind, you know, like the, I'm I'm just a dude. I'm just I'm I'm a guy. I'm a dad. I'm a 50 year old, you know, like creative, um, sort of maniacally driven to to make stuff devoted to loving my family. Guy who is obsessed with learning and studying about how we live most powerfully in the world. And um, when I when I think about the people that you just named, I mean, I just to me they're just in a very different they're in a very different arena. Um, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't place myself there. Um, I, I place myself on the side of most people I write for, um, not, you know, and that's kind of the way that I live my life and I sort of see myself in this, in this quote space. And I think that's super healthy at the same time. I think like you have such a gift that is on par with many of those that we named. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I want to encourage you in that context too is like you got some amazing stuff in this book um so some of the things that you went in here in measuring like performance and this is kind of where i wanted to take this is it's so easy for us to compare ourselves amongst other people right and in this book you ask people to give themselves a scale of one to ten as they measure where they are in each one of those buckets oh you know today i definitely feel like i'm only a two in mm -hmm. vitality but in um, connection oh i feel like i'm a, a nine it is really easy for us to get diluted by comparing ourselves to other people who seem exceptional how do we find the balance of both being humble and, and accepting, you know, the grace of who we are and at the same time, n you know, nullifying those inner critics that are trying to compare us to the people that maybe we admire? Yeah. So two words, comparison kills. I mean, it's right just, I, I don't know how like more succinct or clear, you know, you can be about it. It's just, you know, what, the only comparison I ever make is to my last best effort. You know, that's the only thing that matters to me. Am I, am I learning more? Am I growing more? Am I, you know, whatever I screw up, you know, have I done a postmortem, figured out what happened and then let it go and then, you know, use whatever information I can to move forward and do better in some way. You know, I look at other people and there will sometimes be a tinge of envy. But, you know, I, like I said, there's, I've now spent so much time with so many people that I've, I've been in conversation with some of the wealthiest people in the world, with some of the most successful people in the world in a variety of fields. And I've got to tell you, they're no less tortured than people who are, you know, kind of like just every day working for, a, you know, like, a, you know, going to work. It's, we, we are all part of the same human condition. Mm -hmm. You know, and when we we just look at what we think are other people's lives and compare ourselves to that, it's you always lose. You just always 
lose. Either you place yourself above somebody else and, you know, like you step into a place of superiority and then you start to lead with narcissism and arrogance or you place yourself below them and you feel inferior and paralyzed and futile and frustrated and it's a losing game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the only comparison kills. The, the, the only thing that you really care about is am I, am I being intentional? Am I bringing everything I can to whatever it is that I'm doing? Am I, am I doing the things that matter most? Um, you know, and am I learning and growing within that frame? Um, it, it's funny, the, um, the term envy, uh, there was some interesting data that I became aware of, I want to say last year, where um, the data showed that envy is not actually always bad. You know, we tend to look at, the, at, at envy as one of the seven sins, right? Mm-hmm. But they basically says there are two forms of, that, of envy that in, in the data, which the one I believe was called um, benign envy. And then one was called, I think it was malevolent envy. And what essentially they said is that benign envy essentially is just looking at somebody where they are and saying, wow, like how cool is it that they got to that place? I wonder what helped them get there. I wonder what I could learn from their journey. You know, which to me is, isn't really envy. Um, you know, you kind of want to be them, but at the same time, there's no malice towards them. Whereas, but the flip side is, you know, that sort of that malicious envy, mm-hmm. um, where it's really, you know, there's a Schadenfreude. It's like, man, I wish they failed. So because I, I hate the fact that they're there and I'm not. That is destructive. I mean, that is just. There's no constructive value to that. Right, and you know, part of what you were saying before is that element of um if you if you go one way you know the narcissism if you go the other way then inferiority um there's significant balance to be found in there and one of the things you talked about uh in your introduction was the possibility that somewhere in you lays that ember of a rough-edged ability to affect others like you knew that there was something you could do to make a difference in others. And then you said both the desire and the potential to create moments, experiences, and things that might inspire a change in state and belief, you wanted to incite possibility. Mm. And after reading this book, I wholeheartedly agree. Mm. Um, I'm glad. Um, That's my greatest hope for. Yeah. And as we bring it in for landing, what are maybe some last and final words you would share with our audience? Uh, good question. Um, I think probably the starting point for all of this is um, is self-discovery, is really just taking some time to ask yourself, you know, who am I? What do I care about? Um, what are my strengths, my values, my beliefs? And then cultivating a daily practice of awareness. Um, we tend to be driven by a series of goals, you know, the final one being, um, (laughs) being death. Um, (laughs) you know, I look at life not as so much as a series of sequential goals, but as a practice, you know, and that quote that you, that you shared earlier in our conversation, you you know, that a good life is a lens through which you see and create your world, not a place at which you arrive. I truly believe, you know, it's not, we're not trying to get there. You know, like there exists here. It's about 
it's about the practice. It's about embracing this moment. It's about it's about being engaged in a process of becoming, but not um, at the expense of being. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's just a matter of like every day you practice being aware and engaged and connected. Um, you do that today and the next day and the next day. And all of a sudden, a couple of years down the road, you look back and you're like, you know what? I'm living a pretty damn good life. Oh, fantastic. And where can people get a hold of you? Um best place these days is uh, probably goodlifeproject.com um, or my personal uh, website which is jonathanfields.com and Jonathan Fields his new book How to Live a Good Life One Last Expert Before We Go your quest is to come to a place where your buckets are all bubbling over where you're moving through each day feeling vital, energized, strong alive and at ease You are contributing meaningfully to the world, leveraging your strengths, values, wisdom, and abilities to their fullest, doing only what truly matters. You're surrounded by people you love being with, embraced by love, and a deep sense of understanding and belonging. You feel connected to people and source, however you define it. Jonathan, thanks for joining us on the Up In Your Business Show. Uh, It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thanks so much to Jonathan for his time on the show today. In our interview, Jonathan talked about this whole positive affect and how it has a very real role in your physiology, in your cognitive function, in your creativity. And so I wanted to just ask you before we uh, part ways today, what intentional efforts are you making to keep your positive mindset? Now, I want to give you a little bit of a piece of advice, uh, just a little tidbit. This is my little brain hack. Go out and buy some dry erase markers. I have multiple colors. I keep them in my bathroom in a little case there, and I write on my mirror in my bathroom. And you may have heard me say this before. I write uh, affirmations and quotes, uh, sometimes scripture. I write reminders for gratitude. I put anything there that's going to change my mindset because I know when I go to the mirror, it's the first thing I see in the morning. I brush my teeth. And then at night, I'm brushing my teeth again. Like I am seeing these things the first thing in my day and the last thing from my day. And these are the things that have, for me, kept me grounded. They've prepared my mind and cultivated my thinking to see the world in a way that I think um, I want to position my heart and my intention. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. And maybe it's not on your bathroom mirror. Maybe it's a post-it note that's on your um, your monitor of your computer. Maybe it's you know something that you put on your refrigerator door. Maybe it's something you put on the wall as you exit your house uh, to go outside. It, whatever it is, get this positive information before you, so that you can kind of change the script on your internal monologue. Because if you change the internal, the external cannot help but fall in line. And that's my encouragement for you today. If you have any questions or thoughts about the show, maybe you want to ask me a question, please come and find me on Twitter. I'm at Angus Nelson. 
if you're looking for any of the links, show notes uh, on this episode, you can find those um, at angusnelson.com forward slash 058. That will take you to the page. I am your host, Angus Nelson. Go ahead and tell your friends about this show because the greatest compliment you can give is a referral to someone else, either by telling them in person or posting on the web. I'd love if you posted one of these shows up on your Facebook wall. Tag me. Uh, I'd love to see it. I'll get on there and chat with you. Say hi and thank you. So keep taking your business up by getting up in your business. Live intentionally, love extravagantly, and lead with self-awareness. Be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com.